0: Hey Zevil.
1: Hey Raygun.
0: You ready to tell some stories?
1: Heck yeah! Coming to you live from the top of the pyramid, this is Memphis Memphis Mysteries. Mysteries! will begin in Memphis, but will take us beyond the city and state's boundaries, mere minutes from the heart of the city to the state of Arkansas.
0: It was November 2nd, 2012, and Daisy Taylor, 56, was with her daughter, Trinetta Dotson. The two sat together at the home they shared in Raleigh, a community in north central Memphis. It was early on a Friday, and the women chatted as they usually did before getting the day going. Dotson was headed to work, and Taylor told her she planned on picking up her paycheck from the healthcare care agency she worked for. Taylor provided extended home care to seniors. After grabbing her check, Taylor said she would then travel to a private residence to provide care at 1 p.m. Around 10 a.m. that morning, Taylor also spoke to her sister on the phone from her Raleigh home. Soon after hanging up, she got into her Gold 2012 Chevy Impala and set out to grab her paycheck. An hour later, Dotson received a phone call from the Memphis Police Department saying her mother's car had been found in South Memphis set on fire. Around the same time, a road crew worker was discovering the body of her mother, Daisy Taylor. Taylor had been shot three times and left alongside Graham and Road in Crittenden County, Arkansas. More than 24 miles from her home and more than 20 miles away from her car was found on fire. She never made it to her agency to pick up the paycheck, nor did she make it to her 1 p.m. health care shift. To this day, who killed Daisy Taylor and why remains a Memphis mystery. According to her family and friends, Daisy Taylor was always the center of the party. She worked hard and loved being social, seeing her friends, visiting relatives, and going to church. She loved playing her favorite card game, spades. In Taylor's downtime, what little of it she had, she also cared for her mother, who was due to turn 80 in 2012. As reported by NBC News in an article by Andrea Cavalier, forgive me if I'm saying that incorrectly, And posted on news.yahoo.com on November 6, 2020, Dotson said of her mother, She loved when everyone got together, just as family. Her brothers and sisters, grandchildren, nieces and nephews. She was the life of the gatherings. Aunt Daisy, Aunt Daisy is all I hear all day long. The article was also published with pictures of Taylor looking sharply dressed, posing fabulously, Hinting at the lively and charismatic energy Taylor was known for. Sadly, the family gatherings would never be the same. Everything changed that day on November 2nd. At 11 a.m., a road crew worker called into the Christian County Sheriff's Department that he had found a body. Taylor's body was found in a pool of blood in a ditch off of Grayman Road in Arkansas. Taylor had been shot once in the right shoulder, once in her hand, and once in her head. In an article written by Katina Rankin for LocalMemphis.com on February 2017, investigators said they believed the ditch was the murder site. Grayman Road is on the outskirts of Marion, Arkansas. Marion is part of a region Memphians and Arkansans affectionately call West Memphis because of its close proximity to downtown Memphis, just across the bridge. Marion is a small town with a population under 13,000. Yet its close existence to Memphis makes it part of a larger metropolitan area with many people living in Marion and its surrounding towns but working in Memphis. Memphians and Marion residents commute back and forth between the two areas crossing the bridge daily. It's something to keep in mind as we talk about the two areas. We are basically talking about Memphis's little brother or at least a neighbor when we speak about Marion, Arkansas. Jay-Z Taylor's body was not hidden. She was prominently displayed in broad daylight next to a stretch of road that while in a rural area, it's also very close to I-55, a heavily trafficked interstate. I'm not super familiar with Arkansas, but Google Maps gives the indication that if you want to get onto Gramman Road from downtown Memphis, you can take I-55, exit near Marion, and jump onto Highway 77. Travel on that for 20 minutes or so and take a right onto Graham Road. You could probably use it to head towards Marion proper or get onto I-55. On a Friday morning, there would definitely be drivers out and about heading to work or running errands. After getting the call that her mother's car was found on fire, Dotson soon gets another phone call from Crittenden County Sheriff's Department asking her to come identify a body. She knows it is her mother. Taylor's Chevy Impala is found on fire on Mason Street, right off the E.H. Crump Boulevard, a major thoroughfare that winds itself through Memphis until it becomes Highway 78. Where her car was found is near where Crump Boulevard begins to end, or begins, depending on your location, as it winds down to the Mississippi Riverfront. Now, when they say Taylor's car was on fire, they meant it was burnt to a crisp. Witnesses in the area heard several explosions as the car burst into flames, burning, along with it, any forensic evidence or clues that could be used to identify the killer or killers, or what their motive was for ending the life of Daisy Taylor in such a brutal fashion. Most articles I found in my research portray investigators as believing the ditch was the murder site, but some articles insinuate that some investigators may believe the car could have been the site for the shooting. I was unable to find what these conclusions were based on, whether there was ballistic evidence found in the ditch that point to the death occurring only in the ditch, or only in the car, or if there was evidence that could point to both places being the murder site. And given the multiple bullet wounds, I can see a possibility of Taylor being shot in say the car, then again in the ditch where she succumbed to her wounds and this may be information Crittenden County investigators want to hold back from public knowledge at this time. On the whole though, it seems Crittenden County investigators believe the suspect or suspects drove Taylor to Arkansas in her car, killed Taylor either in her car or in the ditch, and ultimately left her body in the ditch alongside Graham Road. Then the suspect or suspects drove her car to South Memphis, parked it on Mason Street, and set it on fire, destroying all evidence. The murderers or murder were not seen by witnesses, disappearing before Mason Street residents came out to investigate the
1: explosions. (music)
0: physical evidence pertaining to this case because it all burned up in the fire that tore through Taylor's car. But in 2017, video evidence is released by Critton County investigators that shows a car investigators believe could be the suspect's car driving away from Taylor's car. I've tried to find a video, but was unable to find it publicly available. According to the Rankin RankinLocalMemphis.com article, The video shows Taylor's car in front of the camera's view, and then parked in the spot where it is found later on fire. The video supposedly shows another car behind Taylor's car. The only problem in identifying this car? A hornet's nest. A hornet's nest on the camera's lens obscures the view of the second car's license plate. As far as the make and model of the suspect's car? There is no mention in anything I've read so far as to what the car is or looks like. With no physical evidence and faulty video evidence, the Crittenden County investigators focused on eliminating those close to Taylor as suspects. Mike Callender, Chief Investigator for the Crittenden County Sheriff's Office, says they have interviewed everyone remotely associated with Taylor. Even the person who found her body was interviewed and cleared. She had no lovers, no double life, no secrets to be found. In an article posted on AYMag.com by Rhonda Owen and originally published in their print edition in June 2013, Calendar is quoted as saying, We've looked at all the money and love aspects, and we can't find anything there. If she was involved with anyone, we can't find it. She had no active involvement with any men that we could determine. She had no ongoing relationships. Yet, Callender says in this article that his gut tells him that this is still a crime of passion. My gut instinct is there is some kind of love aspect to it. It looks like it was an emotional type of deal. Kind of spur of the moment, he adds. The case of Daisy Taylor's murder isn't cold. That is the resounding refrain from the heads of this case. Callender says in the AYMag.com article that the Crittenden team is still re-interviewing people and re-verifying alibis, still digging to uncover any clues to bring Taylor's murderer to justice. Taylor's daughter, Trinetta, still holds out hope that the killer will be caught and answers will be delivered. Taylor's mother prayed for that same answer every day until her death in 2018. The Cavalier article quotes Trinetta as saying, That's all she wanted before she passed. She wanted to know why. Why someone would kill her daughter, but she passed without knowing. And we might never know. Trinetta says the family tries to keep Taylor's spirit alive by playing her favorite game, spades, and sharing stories about her vivacious personality. The family holds out hope for justice. Anyone with information about Daisy Taylor's case should contact Crittenden County Investigators or Crittenden County Crime Stoppers at 870 732 4444. This is still an open case. All calls are confidential.
1: Wow. That's so sad.
0: I know, yeah. It's a, a really uh painful story, uh one that just doesn't have enough answers. I think uh, in particular it's been really frustrating for friends and family and investigators because there there are no suspects. There have been no person of no interest.
1: Yeah, and that's what kinda struck me was, you know, the you like you said the law enforcement they believe it's a personal crime, but it yeah. didn't seem like you know, we had the jilted lover or your usual cast of suspects.
0: There seems to be no evidence uh, to suggest that there's a person uh, in her life, in Daisy Taylor's life, that, uh, you know, might be motivated to do something like that or feel like that uh, there's also nothing to suggest that uh, she had some kind of secret double life either which is
1: yes yeah, the absence uh, of the the motive you know which really leaves people baffled it's like why would someone do this you, know, you have this nice you know normal you know good citizen who ends up in this tragic you and know t- and
0: so much effort to cover up their tracks yeah um a lot of effort and to me and i gotta say that's what also strikes me the most is that um, while we may not know if this is personal um, or random, uh, it does seem like whoever did it. And there's evidence that there are two people, given that they saw uh, two cars in the videotape after the car was after her car was burned. Um, there's evidence suggests suggests there are two people, um, but. It does seem that these are organized people yes. that had enough time to think. Hey, um, it's going to throw off investigators if we split this up within state lines. So it seems clear to me she was carjacked or kidnapped mm-hmm. in Memphis, and they took her to Arkansas to either throw off investigators or to just make it more time confusing timeline. Who, you know, confusing uh, as well as the car in and- Memphis.
1: And, yeah, you know, it begs the question, you know, again, like, why, you know, why take that high risk of, you know, taking them, you know, outside the city alive? You know, why not kill them in Memphis? It, this is
0: at 11 a. This is before 11 a.m. This is 10 a.m. in the morning, Friday. Uh, people are going to work. This is on the highway. They drove her, um, I forget what we talked about how long, but we're really talking about no more than 40 minutes, but, uh, away from the city, but it does seem like a lot of time to kidnap someone. They obviously had a reason and a plan to go to Arkansas, uh, whether they knew that Daisy was the target or not. she Maybe she was just wrong place, wrong time. Um, Personally, I don't know what you're getting from the case, but for me it's kind of pointing towards this is someone that perhaps hunts people. I know that mm-hmm. seems extreme, um, but it seems like someone set out it that day lot of that with an intet- with the intent to kill someone, um, and they did that quickly. They did. It started at ten a.m. and ended at eleven. Things happened in succession quickly. They didn't care about the car. They didn't steal anything.
1: It's planned um, and methodical. Because you know it's organized, like you said. You know it's hard to imagine. You know that this was just some type anything you know but intentional
0: it, you know. it seems like a sadistic couple honestly they were out and daisy taylor happened to be the wrong place wrong time now the other thing we could consider is that this is an organized crime um situation it have been, yes but there's again no evidence to suggest that uh, there is nothing that in her life, her friends, family, investigators did a deep, deep dive into uh, this mother who has a very squeaky, she seems to have a squeaky clean life. Nobody can come out with any information. Um, but maybe she saw something and it, that somehow got her involved in something. I don't know. Um, all I can hope, this, like we said, this is an open case uh I can only hope that more information comes out two people always usually can mean can give some hope that someone's going to talk eventually yeah. someone's going to get drunk someone's going to get to a situation they're gonna where they're going to brag or they can't keep it in
1: I guarantee um, someone knows out there in the community right. and if they do they should they should come forward. That's so sad.
0: Um, but we would love to hear uh, any viewers, uh, listeners, speculation. Hit us with your theories. Um, anything we can do uh, to help the family. Obviously, we don't want to involve the family. They've been through a lot. But you know, anything we can do on our own to help push uh, this story forward and keep it in the um, kind of in the eye of the public is always good.
1: December 1st, 2000, Rhodes College student, Matthew David Pendergrass, woke up for a a 9am Spanish class. His landlady says she heard him get ready and leave for class between 7.30am and 8am. That was the last anyone saw of him. The room Matthew rented at 591 Trezevant Street was only blocks from his class, but he never arrived. Later that afternoon, hunters found Matthew's maroon 1998 Toyota 4Runner SUV on a levee in Lenoke County, Arkansas, off the Kerr Road exit of Interstate 40, about 120 miles from Memphis. Rhodes College is a private liberal arts college in Memphis, Tennessee. Besides its reputation in academics, it is well known for its collegiate gothic campus that sits on the 123 acre wooded site in the Midtown neighborhood. Matt was a fiercely competitive athlete. Despite standing a mere five foot six inches and weighing in at 115 pounds, in high school Matt played soccer, wrestle, and ran track and cross country. Besides sports, Matt also enjoyed music and played drums and other percussion instruments. His family describes Rhodes College as being a great fit for Matt. In his freshman year, Matt pledged with the Kappa Sigma fraternity on campus and quickly befriended two other Atlantans, Jason Woods and Justin Lennon. Those who knew him well described Matt as being intelligent, kind, fun-loving, and at times introspective. Matt originally had declared his major as pre-med, but changed it to Spanish after a class trip to Mexico. In the summers of 1999 and 2000, Matt volunteered with Orphanage Outreach in the Dominican Republic. This volunteer experience inspired Matt to begin planning for his future after Rhodes. His mother told Memphis Magazine that he decided after graduation he would get a job with a nonprofit in Atlanta, learn its fundraising and legal aspects, and start his own organization that would benefit orphans. Several weeks prior to his disappearance, Matt visited home for Thanksgiving. Matt's mother remembers him in good spirits and that they did some online Christmas shopping together. Matt also visited with Lennon, whose family had invited Matt to join them on a Caribbean cruise after graduation. The two also discussed renting a home together in Atlanta after Matt's graduation. After Thanksgiving, Matt only had two more weeks until he had completed his requirements for graduation. He met with his advisor and discussed his final paper. His advisor, Eric Hinegar, described it as just a standard visit and that he didn't recall Matt seeming worried. On Thursday evening, November 30th, Matt appeared in a play titled Between Pancho Villa and a Naked Woman as part of a class assignment. At 10 a.m. that Friday morning, hunter Joe Murdahl and his companion had gone hunting. Murdahl reported that Matt's forerunner had not been there at the time. However, when the men returned at 2 p.m., the SUV was parked on the levee, and the men had left a note on the windshield asking the owner to remove it. When the next day the SUV was unmoved, the men investigated further. They discovered the vehicle was unlocked and the keys were in the ignition. Inside the glove compartment, they found oil records with Matt's family phone number listed. Murdahl called the number and asked to speak with Matt. Mary Ellen Pendergrass, Matt's mother, received Murdoch's call. She explained that Matt was at Rhodes College. Murdoch told Mary Ellen that Matt's SUV was parked on a levee in a private duck hunting preserve in Lenoke County, Arkansas. Next phone calls were to Margaret, Meredith, Matt's landlady. No answer. Then road security. An officer was dispatched to his house, but found no sign of him. The Memphis Police Department searched Matt's room. The police sergeant who searched the room described it to Mary Ellen as in disarray. The Pendergrass contacted Lanoke County Sheriff's Department. L.C.S.D. put out a county-wide bolo and contacted the Arkansas State Police. On Sunday, then-LCSD Chief Deputy Sturdivant met with the ASP and Arkansas Game and Fish employees to launch a grid search of the area. Early in the search, a helicopter spotted a pile of clothing approximately 100 yards from the vehicle. In a wooden thicket, investigators later found Matt's clothing in a pile along with his wallet containing $46 in cash, credit cards, family photos, and driver's license. Accounts differ on whether his socks and shoes were dry or not, but all accounts describe his pants as wet from the knee down, looking as if the wearer stepped out of them and let them drop where they fell. One investigator described Matt's t-shirt as seeming like it could have come right out of the dryer. Despite the frigid temperature that day, no coat or jacket was found. The days preceding law enforcement involvement, searchers explored the woods near the levee, and divers and teams in boats searched the bayou. Some of Matt's friends traveled to Arkansas to help with the search, among them Jason Woods, Justin Lennon, and Presley Brooks. Presley Brooks spoke with Matt the night before he disappeared and was the last person to speak with him. The morning of his disappearance, Matt had left Presley Brooks a message around 7.30 a.m. saying, Everything's all right. No problem. I'll talk to you later. Jason Woods told Memphis Magazine that they were confined to a staging area. Woods continued to tell the newspaper that law enforcement didn't start the search till 11 a.m., and then, quote, walked all around the scene with disregard and flew around in ATVs at high speed, mucking up scents, footprints, and all manner of potential evidence around the car, the levee, the woods, and the field. Woods stayed in the area for nearly two weeks. He complained to the newspaper that, quote, they didn't even search the downstream banks of the stream, where its clothes were found, or the trailer parked beyond the far bank of the stream. When we complained to the sheriff that this should be done, we were told to butt out and that we'd be arrested if we were seen searching by ourselves." Lieutenant Kalesa, who assisted with the search, defends the department's conduct, citing that at the time it was uncertain whether the site was a crime scene and denied allegations of mucking up evidence. During that first week of December, several ground, water, and aerial searches were conducted. Two different K-9 teams were used and detected Matt's scent from his pile of clothes to the edge of Bayou Meto, but never detected a scent from the vehicle to the clothes. No DNA, footprints, weapons, or sign of struggle were ever found at the scene. On December 8th, at the end of the third effort, officials determined that they had covered the area as thoroughly as they could and called off further searches. Bayou Meto, where Matt's SUV was found, is part of one of the largest state-owned wildlife management areas in the nation. Encompassing more than 30,000 acres, about half of which are flooded each fall to attract ducks and hunters. The topography of the area is generally flat with little more than an 11-foot change in elevation. The Encyclopedia of Arkansas describes the bayou as a slow-moving stream that originates in northern Pulaski County at the confluence of several creeks west of the Little Rock Air Force Base and travels 150 miles south and east through Lenoke, Arkansas and Jefferson counties before emptying into the Arkansas River a few miles southwest of Gillette. It forms part of the boundary lines between Lanoke and Prairie Counties in Arkansas and Jefferson Counties. The bayou has lent its name to different communities along its path, a civil war action in Pulaski County and the first wildlife management agency established by the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. Throughout the years of the investigation into Matt's disappearance, many theories have been proposed but it all remained speculative and unsubstantiated. Matt's journal, Found at the Scene, inspired one such bizarre theory. Kalesa said the journal contained poetry, the writings reflecting on nature, life, and death, but one entry referencing something called the Silver Elves initially caught the eyes of some of the investigators. Investigators believed this to be a reference to the webpage silverelves.angelfire.com, which features the Elven Tree of Life and Death. The Elven Tree of Life and Death leads visitors on what the site describes as a journey of self-discovery and the means to obtaining immortality. As strange as the words seemed, investigators believed they were worth pursuing and wondered if a connection could exist between the Silver Elves and Matt's disappearance. Sturdivant made note of one journal entry in which Matt described the cold mud in the woods, lying down in the icy water, and feeling his blood turning to ice crystals. The LCSD hired a psychic who claimed that Matt wanted to be rebirthed as a silver elf. The psychic told Sturdivant that she saw Matt take off his clothes, fold them neatly, and step out to the bayou where he died of hypothermia. In an interview with Memphis Magazine, Matt's mother rejects this notion, saying her son never did anything neatly in his life. Friends and family acknowledge that he played an interactive computer game called multi-user Dungeons and Dragons, whose website had links to the Silver Elves. refutes the idea that Matt killed himself or engaged in such a bizarre ritual. One theory Sturdivant and a private investigator hired by the family have touted is that Matt was involved in a drug deal gone wrong. There's nothing to substantiate that Matt ever took drugs or was ever involved in drug activity. The only thing noteworthy of this theory is the blue Cadillac. On December 28, 2000, nearly three weeks after Matt vanished, the incident involved the driver of a blue Cadillac. Who had run out of gas on Kerr Road. When a trooper stopped to offer help, his suspicions were roused because the man was trembling uncontrollably. As he started to question the driver, another motorist brought gasoline. The trooper, who decided the driver may have been shaking from the cold, allowed the Cadillac to leave, but he noted the car's tag number. As reported by the Memphis Magazine, The Cadillac driver would break into a house on Kerr Road that same day, not to burglarize it, but to make a phone call. When the owner came in from shopping and screamed for him to leave, he calmly told the person on the phone, I have to go, the lady of the house just came in. As he walked out the door, she noticed he held a cell phone in one hand. Shortly after he left, the homeowner presses redial on her phone, and learns that the home intruder and the Cadillac driver had called a convenience store in North Little Rock. She gave the number to LSSD's Sturdivant, who questioned an employee there. A background check revealed the employee had a felony record. We don't know what the employer and the home intruder discussed that day, but the LCDS continued to track the Cadillac driver. In early January 2001, About a week after running out of gas on Kerr Road, he was busted on drug charges, possession of hallucinogenic mushrooms, and marijuana in Prescott, Arizona. And because we think it's important, the Memphis Magazine goes on to report that Sturdevant did run the tags of the Cadillac and did learn that they belonged to a convicted counterfeiter and drug runner who just happened to live in Atlanta about three miles from a friend of Matt's. The um, friend of Matt's, or person of interest, as Sturdevant described him, was someone who Sturdevant and the private investigator the family had hired had questioned in depth, whose background they checked, and about whom they had serious suspicions. The private investigator believed the Cadillac driver had connections with a house on Kerr Road, suspected of methamphetamine manufacturing. The investigator believes, the person of interest, intended to use Matt's SUV in a drug deal and had persuaded Matt to let the driver use his SUV. He's not sure if the driver intended to borrow the car or have Matt drive him to Lenoak County. He believes that when Matt discovered how his vehicle would be used, he changed his mind and that Matt lost his life in the events that occurred afterwards. He believes Matt's body had been in the trunk of the blue Cadillac when the trooper had spotted it on Kerr Road that day. The investigator believes that the Cadillac driver killed Matt, planted the clothing to throw off the searchers, and hid the body out of range of the search site until it could be moved. The private investigator told Memphis Magazine that it took six months to track down the blue Cadillac. At that point, the suspect had fled on bail, but the vehicle was still an impound. At the request of Arkansas law enforcement, Arizona police ran a luminal test on the vehicle which reacted to a circular spot on the sidewall of the trunk. Police suspect it was a reaction to human tissue, but no DNA could be recovered. Other sources have not been able to confirm these claims by the private investigator. No evidence that Matt had anything to do with drugs at all has ever been substantiated. It's also worth noting that in 2004, Matt's family took the investigator off the case. Years went by without any major breakthroughs in the case of Matt's disappearance. And Then, in November of 2015, KATV reported the authorities and family now believe the most likely scenario is a carjacking that occurred in Memphis committed by an Arkansas local. But like the other theories in Matt's disappearance, no corroborating evidence has been discovered. The KATV story went on to report that in 2013, Jacksonville police had received a letter that listed a group of people who were allegedly involved in a missing person, possibly believed to be Matt. According to Kalesa, Lenote County Sheriff's investigators worked with the Jacksonville Police Department to investigate what was listed in the letter, and numerous interviews were conducted, even one with an Elvis impersonator. But many of the individuals supposedly involved had passed away. To this day, the case and the disappearance of Matthew David Pendergast is still open. If you know anything about his disappearance, we ask that you contact the Lenoak County Sheriff's Department or the Arkansas State Police. The family is offering a $15,000 reward for any information leading to his whereabouts. So, first off, I'm going to say this is a bizarre story with equally as bizarre theories as the facts themselves. And I remember reading this, um, the actual the Memphis Magazine article that I quote heavily in the story. Back in uh, March 2008, it was a piece missing by Marilyn Sadler. And I remember just being baffled when I first read this story about this missing Rhodes College student mm-hmm. you know, who is disappears in this... Place I had never heard of, Lenoke County, Arkansas, and it's remained unsolved to this day. And
0: yeah, I mean this this story uh, had me in just kind of a tailspin of question on question, and it really just is painful to know that a body has never been found, and I can't imagine how incredibly hard that is for family and friends. Um, and investigators to solve
1: this mystery. Yeah, yeah, there's just so little closure with this case. And that makes it just the more, um, heartbreaking. And I, th- I think, you know, we really need to start with, um, who Matt was. Mm-hmm. And to really get at the core of the story. Because it seems like he's an all-around, like, good kid. Like, a sensitive, creative, nice guy. You know, there doesn't seem to be too many red flags you know that he would be involved in something dangerous or that could you know lead to you know foul play or his demise
0: Right. He didn't seem to be uh, someone that craved danger.
1: No. He um, seems like an indoorsy type. And sure. I, and I say that he was a nerd, and I say that as a nerd. Right. You know, just the Dungeons and Dragons, He's the Silver that, Elves, the and poetry, and, and the diary. And,
0: and really Rhodes College <laughs> is, a, is a home for that. That is... Where people go to be their most creative selves, mm-hmm. and I think that it's you know it draws yeah, it, some people like that. It's a diverse crowd, of course, uh, but it definitely cultured, the creative you know, type certainly. that. Yeah
1: no yeah exactly, um, and so I think you know the theories become that more strange mm-hmm. when you take mm-hmm. that into account who this person was, you the first one that really is offered is the Silver Elves one with the diary they find. And,
0: and therefore suicide. And
1: therefore suicide. This ridiculous notion that he was, I guess, like, suicide through hypothermia or drowning in a slow-moving stream. Right. He was going to, like, hold his breath underwater or lay in cold water enough until he just, um... Died,
0: I it, guess. And it's only laughable because it is ridiculous. It's it
1: ridiculous, nearly impossible. Right.
0: Like, just—it's hard to imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and and not only that, but nothing seemed to indicate that he's suicidal. He nothing. has Plans. He's gonna do a nonprofit. Uh, he's gonna move in with his friend in Atlanta. They've got a, a house. They figured out. Um, He's got a girlfriend.
1: He's got a girlfriend.
0: Things are looking up. He's almost done with his program almost at done. Rhodes, which was probably challenging. And I'm and
1: sure counselor, you had recently met with him. Things Doesn't were sense looking age. good. Things were looking good. Nothing weird, you know. And he, everything indicates this ambitious kid, a um, straight laced kid, and um, so equally weird is the other theory that he's in, possibly involved in drugs. Right. Which there seems to be no evidence. His family and friends refute it, the people who would exactly. know him best. Um, he's never been in trouble with law enforcement in his life. He did
0: not strike me as a pretty yeah. kid.
1: It, uh, by all accounts, there, a bomb was not found in his dorm right. room. And <laughs> there
0: would have been if you looked in my drawer. Uh, yeah, room. exactly. So, you know, I just think un- he is way more innocent.
1: Yes so which
0: we don't know you know we don't know but he by all appearances was a very um normal fun-loving theater kid exactly yeah to his academic life
1: and but again all this begs the question then still what happened to him why did his car end up in lenoe county this place that he I have no idea about and I I'm from this area right have you ever heard of it I've
0: never heard of Lenoke yeah. County
1: and this kid from Atlanta one day when he you know had class early that morning he leaves an hour early from his room he rents and somehow in his car ends up in a small county on a private road in Arkansas
0: Okay. If I can ask a question, do we know if he ever made it to Rhodes campus? He
1: did not show up to class that day. But
0: do we know if his car even made it to the campus? We
1: do not know. Okay. I don't, at least.
0: Um, interesting.
1: And so it's a very short time frame. The car found that afternoon when the hunters right. first go out that day and notice it. Come back later, leave a note on it.
0: Very quickly. Mm-hmm. This all goes down and immediately people notice that something's wrong mm-hmm.
1: um
0: and then that coupled with the evidence of the clothing mm-hmm. uh that also makes it i don't understand he took off his clothes is what if they believe it's suicide then he took off his for clothes for the
1: hypothermia okay
0: yeah I and then but when they found his clothes they're just dipped
1: they seem to yeah, the His pants. Just, are the just pants tipped. just seem to be dipped, and um, what was it? The dogs caught the scent from the bayou to the clothes, but never from the clothes to the car.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, that all seems very framed staged. Staged yeah. doesn't point to a suicide, to me.
1: There's no DNA in the site. There's no evidence that anyone was murdered on the and
0: site again nobody is found nobody's found they dig it they
1: but no no evidence of foul play at the site yeah. so it seems very safe and the investigators agree with that and um, you know I wonder though like did he go to Lenovo willingly what are your thoughts on that,
0: uh, that that's a hard one I gotta say that m- maybe there's a part of me that is thinking and he woke up early Somehow this day was this day already seems different Perhaps he's got a plan with someone his friends and family just have don't have them to know about Or maybe it's someone who just met and they have a plan to go to Lanoke and yeah I, I'm thinking maybe he thought at first He's going I just it's hard for me to imagine someone carjacking him at 8 a.m. in the morning
1: On his way to class.
0: Five minutes away from from where his home and class is. And I live right by that area. And yeah, it's a mixed area. There's all kinds of different people. There's people walking around. There's really nice mansions. Um, It's mixed up, but...
1: But the it's still that someone, hard for me
0: to see someone getting jacked at Someone gets jacked, and
1: someone gets in his car on this short drive.
0: I've know. driven that route a million times, and it is just something that is hard to imagine. Mm-hmm. Things happen,
1: I but think, I think he must have known a the a stretch aggression. for
0: me. I, he may have known him. Yeah,
1: I, I think so. I think it's hard, and you know, same with your case. You know, this high risk situation of someone, you know, putting the gun and making someone, you know, drive that far. Yours wasn't as far. Right. But Leno County, that's about a two-hour drive. So. And I just imagine that he would have had to have done that willingly.
0: And that may have changed quickly. That may have changed quickly. I just feel like maybe they they set out. Mm -hmm. And he thought it was someone he knew. Mm -hmm. Or something that... It was part of the plan, at least.
1: Um. And what happens in between, we have no idea.
0: I don't know. Mm hmm Um, obviously...
1: But the body's not there. And and the carjacking theory that they come out with later, it it seems so strange to me because it seems so specific, but it lacks so detail. It's like, do you know this is? You know, the police are saying this. Do they know it's true? Yeah. You know,
0: yeah. No, they
1: offer no evidence. Offer no evidence, but they say. They're seem, just but like they, they're like it was a local. I think it at happened some point Memphis. they were just like, no, obviously this
0: is not a suicide. But they tried.
1: But they so readily wanted to pin it on at the beginning, which makes me so suspicious of law enforcement who seem to have mucked up the scene. Mm -hmm. And obviously the blue Cadillac. Why this person was not questioned more or apprehended for something. When this is what, maybe a
0: week?
1: It's three weeks. Okay,
0: so it's, it's still fresh weeks. on everyone's mind. It's body. still
1: fresh and there's this blue Cadillac right abandoned, suspicious enough that the cop is going to write down the plate number, yet he still, you know, gets away and is later then arrested in Arizona for smuggling psilocybin mushrooms and marijuana. And the private detective he claims though this may be disputed that there was a luminol hit on the sidewall of the trunk hmm. in the blue Cadillac where he believes that the body was during that stop on Kerr Road
0: and they're thinking that this person is coming back to retrieve
1: retrieve the body, the body. which had been which
0: they have been able to hide
1: which they have been able to hide yeah, in okay. the area maybe at Maybe at a house or a trailer in the okay. trailer park, you know. Um,
0: well, to me, I think it's I think it's definitely not suicide, and it's definitely someone from Lanoke or very close by. Um, and I hope that us talking about it can kind of generate.
1: I hope it jogs some people's memory yeah. out there who may have went to Rhodes or have heard something or, or seen from something or from Lenoke and um, can, you know, come forward and give this family some closure on this. Yeah. It It remains a Memphis mystery.
0: Thanks for tuning in for this episode of Memphis Mysteries. If you like this episode, subscribe to Memphis Mysteries on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Give us a follow on the old Facebook. If you have a Memphis mystery to share, we want to hear from you. Yes you. Share your story with us at Memphis Mysteries at gmail.com or slide into our Facebook messenger. Share your thoughts, opinions, or just say hi. At that email, we would love to hear from you just because we heart you. If you feel so moved, give us a five-star rating on Apple. We would super duper appreciate it.
1: Yes, Ray Gun, We want your unsolved crimes cryptid encounters, and paranormal experiences. But right now, I'm putting a call out for your ghost and haunted house stories in Memphis, Tennessee. Send them to memphismysteries at gmail.com.